Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the third week of our series, Who Do You Say I Am? This message comes from Matthew 16, verses 21 through 27. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Well, if we can, go, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 27, which is that whole question of not only who I am, but what does that mean? And, um, and it's a challenging passage, but it's, but it's very relevant as well. And so let me in, uh, start by reading the passage we're going to look at, Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for the privilege of being able to worship you, to count, come and study your word. Father, I thank you for the things that you are teaching me through my own study of this passage, and not only teaching, but challenging me, because it is a challenging passage. And Father, I pray now that you would speak, Father, that your spirit would speak to each one of us that are here, that you would create in us a, a heart that is sensitive to, to understand, and not only understand, but to apply, and that you would speak through me and in spite of me, your truth that is timeless. Father, I pray your blessing now in Jesus' name, amen. What well, is a wonderful thing to celebrate uh, Emma's profession of faith and baptism. You know, what a blessing. You know, this year as a church, we celebrated more baptisms than we have any other previous year. And that is, that's worth celebrating. That is worth being excited about because, because that's what we're about. Change lives. People coming to know Christ. We, a few moments ago, we read these verses in Matthew 16. And, and it is a challenging passage. But I want you to see how it's related to baptism. In fact, we go, let's go down to verse 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, here's what I want you to see, is these are challenging words, but they're actually linked to the whole concept of baptism. Why? Because in baptism, we identify with Jesus in his death so that the old me is put to death in Christ. It's buried. That's the symbol of going under the water. And then by the power of Jesus' victory over sin and death, it's raised again with him so that the new me is resurrected. That's taught throughout the Bible. For example, in Colossians, it says this, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, what a beautiful picture. Now, when we look at that, what does it mean? We're crucified with Christ, as Paul says in Galatians. We're under, you know, old us goes under the waters of baptism. We come out new. Now, that's an image of, of, of the spiritual reality. It's not that baptism saves us. It's an outward sign of an inward reality of the true faith that we have. And it's important to try to remember that. And sometimes we can forget that. We can kind of get caught up in the meaning or the ritual and kind of this and just going through it. And we kind of lose sight of what it really is symbolizing. I I think about 
a video that I saw of a pastor that was baptizing a young boy. And uh, somehow his fear about baptism kind of got away and I think kind of overshadowed the symbolic meaning of the event. Watch the video and I think you'll get the idea. Now therefore in obedience to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ and upon your profession of faith in him as your personal Lord and Savior, I baptize you my brother, Ethan Key, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As we are buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. Lean back. Lean back. Lean back. Let go. Lean back. So are we raised in the glorious beauty of his resurrection. You got to do what you got to do. You did a good job. Here, take this. I'm just making sure. Just making sure you did good. Man, I thought that glass was coming down. Now, and I watched that, and I think that boy at that moment was thinking anything but the symbolic meaning of this is dying to my old self in Christ and coming up new. I think the pastor kind of lost sight of it, too. I think he was thinking, how do I pry this kid's away from your hand from the way from the glass and get him under, because that's what we're supposed to do. But there is meaning, and we need to remember that. Again, we saw the one passage in Colossians, or I think of Romans, where it talks about this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What a, again, beautiful picture. Here's what I want you to do, though, as we see this picture and then going to what we're looking at here in Matthew 16. I want you to see that baptism is a symbol of what we have done and what is accomplished through Jesus Christ, but it's also a symbol of the beginning of a process. Because this isn't necessarily just a one-time thing. It's actually a way of life. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 16. So look at what he talks about. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's dying to ourself. Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life dies to him in a sense. That's where we find it. That's where it's resurrected up, up anew. And so it's a daily thing. So now what does that mean? Well, part of it is really, we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is dealing with really the question of our identity. And where do we find our identity? Where do we find life and the meaning of life? Uh, it says, what do we do? We have to find our life by losing it. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So that's obviously paradoxical. What does it mean? Now, one of the things that's helpful is understanding the word translated life here in verse 25. It's, it's not the word that we would think of physical life. There's actually two words in the Greek. You have bios, which is physical life, from which we get biology. That's not the word he uses. It's actually the word psych, uh, psyche, which, from which we get psychology. And it, it's the idea of a psychological life, the inner life, the, the true being. And what's interesting is that if you look at 25 and 26, this word is actually used four times. Twice it's translated life in 25, twice it's translated soul in 26. So you look at it, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Same word. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now it's using two different words here because it's such an, a, a rich concept that there's really not an English word that conveys it all. It's not just physical life, it's, it's you know, kind of this psychological life. It's finding who we are, our true identity, you know, the meaning of life and the purpose of life that we were created for. 
And when Jesus teaches whoever would save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, what he's doing is he's attacking a lie not only of his time, but of all time. That changes a little bit in presentation, but the core lie doesn't change. The lie is that we can find our true self, our true meaning, our true purpose, true happiness in the things that we can pursue in the world, or we can find it within ourselves. You see, on the one hand, every culture will point to certain things, and and some people would say, well, well, if I just find that relationship, if I had the family and had kids, if I some things it's, you know, it's if I had money, if I had success, if I had popularity, if I, if I had this, then I would be happy. Or another form of this in a, is, is that when you look at that, you say it's not necessarily in these things outside, but it's inside. So increasingly, it's very popular where it's, no, you find your true self and your feelings. Whatever you feel about yourself, that's who you are. You know, it doesn't matter the reality, it doesn't matter, it's whatever you feel feel, live into your feelings, and, and, and that feeling will recreate the true self. That's the deception behind the whole transgender movement. You know, biology doesn't matter. It's, it's who you feel, that's your reality, and you live into your feelings. Or another version that's even uh, more common in our culture now is that it's not only about feelings, but it's your desires. So that your desire, that's the true self. You know, so you find yourself by pursuing your passions and identifying those things. And so that's what we see now is we see it really common for people to identify themselves primarily in terms of sexual desires. And so they are first and foremost some letter on the LGBT continuum. I am this. And, and, and what they're saying is, in a sense, I'm not a soul that has desires. My soul is my desires. That's the deepest root of who I am. I think it's a very empty view of who we are. And so when Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross for what will profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his soul, what he's saying is, you know, the way the world thinks, it's like, here's what the world has to offer. It's if you find yourself, if you find yourself in the things of the world, success and, and family and, and, and your feelings, and your, you know, you may gain everything, but you lose the true self. You lose who you really are. And Jesus says, no, whoever would save his life will lose it. See, if we're trying to save our life by, you know, by finding the things that we pursue, by the things that we think can, can control, the fact is that's how we lose even the sense of who we are. And you see this culturally. I mean, as the culture becomes more and more defined by identifying ourselves by our feelings and our desires, and well, look at the depression rates, look at the suicide rates, look at the mental illness rates. Why? Because the more that we try to find ourselves in ourselves, the more we lose a sense of who we really are. It's paradoxical, but this is what God is speaking his truth. The only way to pursue and find true self is whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Only when we lose who we, we, we naturally are and we find our identity and relationship with Jesus do we try and find the true self we're created for. But how do we do that? Part of that is understanding the nature of the lie. And there is a great lie here that we see even played out in this whole passage even to see that we got to go back up a few verses before this. And in verses 15, Jesus goes to the disciples and he said, well, who do you say that I am? Again, that's the question we've been looking at this whole section. And, and Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the promised Messiah, the one that is going to set everything right. Now, the problem was that Simon Peter, like the other disciples, had the wrong idea about who the Messiah was going to be. You see, they saw their problem as external and it's Rome and, and evil's out there. It's not within me. It's not a problem with between me and God. 
it's a problem out there. And if God sets it right, he's going to fix the problems out there that are keeping me from being happy. And so they thought that he's going to come and defeat the Romans and, and give them victory. And Jesus said, okay, you're right about me being the Messiah. You're wrong about what kind of Messiah that I am. In verse 21, he reads, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. And so what they're saying is, okay, no, you've got a wrong idea. A lot of the wrong idea was based also in the sense of what they expected that the Messiah would do for them. So think about this from the disciples' perspective. I mean, if they're hoping that Jesus is going to be the political king, he's going to be the one that's going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. Now, how does that impact them? <laughs> We're his disciples. He's the king. We're his number one thing. You know, we, we suddenly get positions of power. We benefit from that. And now Jesus looks at it and says, no, you've got this wrong. No, it's not a political kingdom. It's now, my future is not to be a king. It's to suffer and to die. And they're sitting there saying, wait a second, if we're supposed to follow you, what does that mean for us? Hey, Jesus, we're excited about you, the Messiah, being going up. We want you to be elevated and we're going to go up with you. We're going to have positions of power with you. But now you're telling us that your path is one that is going down to suffering. I'm not sure I want to go there. And that's why you see Peter's response here. He says, he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter is saying, Jesus, you got it all wrong. No, you don't understand. God's, God's path is a path of victory. It's, it's success. It's not, it's not suffering. And Jesus turns to Peter and gives him one of the strongest rebukes that he ever gave anybody in the Bible. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. When he says, get behind me, Satan, he's not thinking that Satan is literally possessing Simon Peter at this moment. He's saying, what you are saying comes from Satan. You know, this is a lie that is from Satan. And the problem is that you're setting your mind on the things of men. You're thinking that God somehow will give you the things that you want, and you're missing God's agenda. God's agenda is not about you know, prosperity and ease. And No, he wants to give you something more valuable, and that's a relationship with God. Now, we may look at this and say, well, we know that, you know, Peter got it wrong. Jesus came to die on the cross. Why? Because it's already happened. And so that's pretty obvious. So it would be stupid for us to say, well, he didn't come to die. But, you know, the same deception now kind of takes a, a repackaged look. And it's basically a lie that is put this way. Je the lie that Jesus has suffered so we wouldn't have to. Oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross and, but he took the pain and suffering so that now we are his children. And so now he's come to make us happy and keep us from suffering. It's the same lie that Peter had and that he was offended when Jesus talked about suffering. And, and, and Jesus is, you know, is clear. God's plan isn't just to give us good things in the material world. And he, he's coming to Peter. Peter, I'm not here to save you from suffering. I'm here to save you through suffering. I'm going to save the world through a cross and I'm going to then work out your salvation in your life through taking you down the path of a cross as well. That's why he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you want to follow me, my path is that of a cross. And Peter, when he's, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he's saying, you know, Peter, you don't understand this. Shut your mouth until you get it. And you know, what's really unfortunate is there are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of people that, that are mature, that have podcasts, that, uh, that have radio shows, that some that have churches, that are pastors, that are basically teaching this same lie of Satan and now saying that it's the gospel. 
you know, that, that God is this lucky charm. God is basically, if you do this, that God wants you to be happy, he wants to give you wealth, he wants you to give, it's very, very popular because it's very attractive. And so you have a lot of people that are teaching this, that, you know, he, that if you do the, the right things, if you pray the right way, give the right money, do whatever, then God's obligated to, to fix whatever problems that you have. And what happens is that people believe that, and then they go through life, and they have problems. And suddenly they get, you know, they get angry with God, or they become disillusioned because, you know, I'm doing my part, but God isn't keeping his end of the deal. How do I understand this? But here's what we need to realize. Jesus never taught that. He never said that if we come to him, he would end all of our problems. In fact, when you look at this, it says when we come to him, we take up our cross. That is not a path of blessing. There sometimes there's an intensification of problems that come with following him. There's an intensification, um, a strengthening. Let's take, you go with that word. A strengthening of some of the difficulties. And so you look at that, he says, you know, um, that's life. And when we go through life, and when we go through the difficulty, when God doesn't fix all of our problems, when he disappoints you in some area, what are you going to do then? Are you going to keep following him? There's a lie that says, no, Jesus suffered that I wouldn't have to. And one of the ideas along, alongside of that is this, the lie that God is this means to this greater end. You know, that, that why do I have a relationship with God? Well, because if I have a relationship, he's going to give me physical and material blessing. If I do the right things, you know, God will give me the blessings that I need to be happy. And here's the problem with that. The things that you need to be happy are the material blessings according to that view. You see, if I do the right things, if I press the right button of God, if I perform for God the right way, he's going to give me the greater things, material pr prosperity, popularity, whatever it would be. And, and, and you say, no, that's a lie. And Jesus confronts that. Whoever would save his life will lose it. If you think it's all about getting the things that you want, that you think is at the core of your identity, you're going to lose it. You're going you're to totally miss out on who you really are. No, but it's whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God is not the means of getting the things that we want. God is the greatest end. It's when we lose ourselves and we find our identity in him. Suddenly, then we discover who we were really created to be. We find meaning, we find purpose, we find identity, we find life. But how do we do that? By following Jesus. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, let's look again what it says. Look at again at his words, words in 24. He told his disciples that, okay, he's the Messiah. He's going to be not the Messiah of victory, but one that's going to suffer and die. And right after that, he tells them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, a disciple is by very definition someone who follows a teacher. And what he's saying here is if anyone wants to be my disciple, wants to be my follower, then what he needs to do is, in a sense, let go of his path and instead now get on my path. And my path involves taking up a cross. I love the way that the New Living Translation translates this because it conveys this idea brings it out a little bit more. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must, you know, you know, give up what you think is right and take up your cross and follow me. You must choose the path that I'm laying out for you. So again, what does this call us to? Well, practically, it's a couple things. First of all, he's calling us to surrender control of our lives. And he's saying, yes, I am the Messiah who came to defeat sin and death by suffering and, and by dying. And if you want to follow me, you've got to follow me on that path. And that doesn't mean that I'm here to rule when you get to rule with me. It means that you deny yourself, that you lose your life, and that's how you find it. 
Now, even in that, let me point out something else that's important. Because look what it says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is not the standard for, okay, you guys, the apostles, you know, the spiritual leaders, the people that are really serious, this is what you guys have to do. And he's saying that this is the basic standard for any of us. It's the level of commitment that's norm of a follower of Jesus. Not only that, but then he says, take up his cross and follow me. Now, this is imagery that we hear very differently than people in Jesus' day would have heard that. Because when we think of a cross, we think of a beloved symbol of the church. I mean, I think of even our own church here. When we, we did a, a renovation about five years or so ago in this room, and one of the things we were so excited about is we were going to kind of, we decided to paint that whole front white and then paint the cross, this, this dark charcoal gray, because we just realized, okay, that's going to make it pop out. We want that to be the center. That was actually a huge part of the renovation. We wanted to highlight this. So you came in this, you couldn't miss the cross because that's the symbol of the church. Now, the thing is, is that we look at that and we say, this is a symbol that we love and people will wear it as jewelry or have tattoos or various things. And, and, but I promise you in Jesus day, no one was wearing a cross. I mean, it would be like if we came in today and said, hey, I've got new jewelry. Look at this. What is it? I got an electric chair. Isn't this look great? You know, it's like, oh man, I've got a guillotine. Look, I'm wearing this. And then look, you, know, you go up and down so you can pretend you shave, you know, cut the people's head off. That's it. And you're like, what in the world are you doing? I mean, that's crazy. Well, the cross was worse than that. It was a symbol of torture, of execution. And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, take up your execution, I mean, it's, that's terrible. And, and when people would take up the cross, it would be a criminal that would be forced to carry the cross to the place of death. And Jesus is saying, no, choose to do that if you're a follower of him. So what does it mean to take up a cross? Well, I'll tell you one thing it doesn't mean. I think one of the ways that I often hear people apply this is they, they talk about, well, the cross is any difficulty they face in life. And so, boy, I have this difficulty. I have this hardship. I have this you know, boy, I have this boss I hate. He's my cross I have to bear. I've got this teacher, man, it's difficult. That's a cross I have to bear. You know, I've got, um, you know, taxes. That's my cross I have to bear. You know, whatever it would be. That's not what it's talking about here. It's, it's not a challenging situation or a handicap. And why? Because those things don't result from our Christian commitment. They're just problems that we face, whether we're believers or not. It's not because I follow Jesus, I have these problems. No, I, because I'm alive, I have problems. I have difficulty. And Jesus here is telling, calling us to take a choice, a willful decision to take up a cross that we wouldn't otherwise have. Now, I will tell you, there are times because of our Christian life, there will be difficulties if we live out our Christian life well. I know some of you, I'm just even looking and I'm thinking people that have made right decisions, they said, I'm going to live by integrity and it's caused, it's caused persecution. It's, people have lost their jobs. I see people that have dealt with, you know, people have rejected you. I know that there are many that have done that. And there are times that because of living that out as a follower of Christ, there will be difficulties. And that's part of what that means. And Christ will give us the ability to respond to those trials. But there's also a sense that when you look at this, that it's defined by the verse itself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And when we think about this, there's a denying of ourself and the taking up the cross are linked what is the cross? It's a symbol of death. It's speaking of Jesus saying, put, put yourself to death in a sense that your, your natural tendencies, your natural desires, the things that you think you need or that you want. A good example of, of this idea that is taught elsewhere 
is, is what Paul says in Galatians. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. There's a sense that who I am, my natural desires, that I crucify that. I put it on the cross. I, I, I choose to deny myself my natural passions and feelings but because I admit that those aren't my true self. It, it, I'm more than my feelings. You're more than what you feel about yourself. You're more than your desires. You're way more than that. And so don't take this little view that my soul is that. No, it's not. See, this is extremely countercultural in our modern culture, which is raised in this diet of be yourself. And you see it all the time. And, and we, you know, we see stories where we're told about, you know, if you just be yourself and the, even movies and books where the hero is the person that had the courage to walk out on the marriage that was not fulfilling them and they, they be, be themselves. And that's terrible. In, the, in our worldview, the ultimate sin is to not follow your heart. But what Jesus is saying is the worst idea for us to do is to follow our heart. Because the idea is that our heart, our, our natural desires lead us astray. That's not who we are. And they're actually leading us down a path of losing ourselves. So we're called to, to, deny, who we, to deny these natural desires. And not only that, but then to identify with Jesus and his cross. Again, he calls us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, denying is related to taking up the cross, but it's also something more. You see, if we see them as exclusively the same, then what we often think is, well, how do I live the Christian life? Well, it's by denying myself. It's by my own effort. It's by my trying hard. It's by, you know, if I'm going to have victory over temptation, over sin, well, I just need to deny. I just need to, to, to just think, okay, I'm going to not do the things, say no to temptation. I don't want to do those things. I want to do it. I just got to try harder. And so we white knuckle it. And we just try, you know, it's like flexing our spiritual muscles. Now, it doesn't work. And let's take an example, practical, I think many of us can relate to this. How many of you all been on a diet? How many of you have been on a successful diet? All right. Okay, what happens? We, all, we can relate to this. Okay, I'm on this diet. I'm not going to eat sugar, okay? And then I walk by and I see this cookie. And right away I'm thinking, okay, I want that cookie, but I'm not going to have the cookie. I'm, I'm going to just deny, just deny, just, you know, and I'm just saying no. And, and then what I try to do is I try to lie to myself. I will be satisfied with a stalk of celery. That would be, that would be great. You know, we try to lie and convince ourselves. How well does that work? I think all of us say, it doesn't work real well in the long run. I can maybe deny myself for a little while, but the fact of the matter is self-discipline, self-denial ultimately fails. Now, why? What we need to see here is there's two parts. It's deny ourself and identify with the cross. Take up the cross. See, and when we identify with the cross, what we realize, what is, what is a cross? What is the message of the cross? That we're sinners? That we just solely deserve God's punishment? We, we can't be righteous? We can't keep God's rule? None of us are, are, are able to keep God's rule by ourselves. We admit that. We admit that Jesus needed to come and die for our sins. And we ask him to forgive our sins and to give us righteousness that we don't have. So God now looks at us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean here when we deny ourselves and take up the cross? It means that we apply that same principle, that we come and we say, okay, God, I'm trying to deny myself, but I can't, I can't, I can't. God, I agree with you that I'm a sinner, that there's a part of me that can't win this battle of myself. And God, I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to give me righteousness, give me strength and ability to live the life that you've called me to do that I cannot on my own. And not only that, 
but when it calls us to, to, you know, to take up the, Christ, the cross, help me to be motivated, not only by saying no to something, but help me to realize that your path is ultimately the path of blessing. In your path, that's where I find life. Help me to believe that. Help me to not see the lie, but help me to believe your truth. And then Jesus continues in verse 26 and 20, or 5 and 26, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And he's telling us that also then following him means that we find in him a new source of identity. But we've already seen that this word for life in 25 and 26 is the word psyche. It means not, not just physical life, but it's our soul, our true being, who we're created to be. And Jesus is saying you have an old way of identifying yourself, a natural way of seeing who you are. And according to the lie of the world, it's, you know, by, by pursuing your desires, by pursuing your feelings, by pursuing the, the things that the world has to offer. But you have to die to that. And you have to embrace this new identity. It's not just denying yourself. It's not just saying, okay, I'm going to check out and do this, and one day God's going to reward me. No, if we learn to do this, if we deny ourselves, and what we do is in, then in him we find life. You know what? I want to live a life that, is, that I know who I am, that I have a sense of purpose and identity and joy and, and, I, and I'm and enjoying life in the way that I'm created to do that. But it doesn't come by finding ourself. The cultural world is finding yourself and the highlight of life is finding yourself and what your you know, feelings and what your desires and these don't work. They, they, they fail. And then you have psychologists who say, oh no, that's how you do that. And if you, you know, you got to find your deepest desire and, and, and if that didn't satisfy you, we'll try something else. And so we're going from one thing to another. So you, you know, it's like, I thought that relationship would, well, well, they're not the perfect marriage or, or mate. So now I've got to find someone else. And, and here's what we need to realize. I will never find myself in trying to find myself. That's always going to fail me. You're never going to find who you are by looking inward. The only way to find who you are is to look outside of yourself and the one that created you, to find in relationship with him your true identity, your true, that's a byproduct. And so that's why he says that whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, not only that, we're going to just touch on this real briefly, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father and repay each person according to what he has done. There's also a sense that there is an eternal perspective that impacts our life. Because when you look at that, you say, we're taking up our cross and that's difficulty. And, 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 and there's part of us that wants a life that doesn't have difficulty. Part of us wants a life that doesn't have sickness, that doesn't have death. And you know what? That's natural. You know why? We were created for Eden. And part of our life wants to go back to Eden. Part of us knows that we were created for this world where these things don't exist. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has put eternity in our hearts. We want that. And here's what happens. If all I'm living for is the pursuit of life in this world, my desires and this, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest my things in, in things that don't satisfy. And not only that, but I'm going to live in this broken world where I'm never going to get eaten. And, and, and the result is that I lose myself because I'm giving myself to things that are going to leave me frustrated and empty, things that I do not have control over. But as a follower of Christ, the fact is we live in a life that is falling. And even following Christ doesn't mean all blessings. But you know, here's the beautiful thing. I don't need all the blessings in here now. You know why? I'm created for Eden. I know that I'm created for heaven. I, I long for that. 
and one day I get it. Now, the good news is one day I get heaven. The bad news is I don't get heaven until I get heaven. But the fact is I know I get it, and so therefore, as I live in this world that includes some brokenness, I can accept that because I don't need this world to meet all my needs. This is, there, there's a blessing here that I can enjoy, but realize at the end of the day, the hardship, all that's going to be wiped away. And what my soul deeply longs for will be fulfilled. So if we look at all this, let me give you just some questions for personal application. How do we live this out? And let me give you three. Okay, number one is something that we've been started with from the very beginning. What does he say? If we find, if we try to save our life, we'll lose it. We lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. What is the source of your identity? That, 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 that's your soul. You know, not just about life, it's about your true self, your true meaning, the true secret of contentment, who you are. You see, again, I know everyone in the world's gonna tell you that you find it by pursuing your own feelings, your own desires, this is the way to do it. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's, that's the message of the world. Where is it leading? Again, I look at this world and I look at a world that is increasingly broken, increasingly dealing with depression, so, you know, um, um, mental illness, all these problems. Why? Because the more that we try to find ourselves in ourself, the more that we lose ourselves. No, God has called us to find our identity not in who we are, but in a relationship outside of ourselves. And that means, yes, denying part of who I am and, and saying, God, I agree with you, this isn't work. I, I'm, not, I'm not the center. When I agree that I'm not the center, help me to make you the center. Only then do I find who I really am. And so ultimately says, then what is the nature of a relationship with Christ? Are you a consumer or are you a follower of Jesus? And, and what I mean is, look at Jesus' words here again, verse 24. He, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These were disciples that were expecting you know, success and reward and good things. And he says, no, that's not the way. He says, my way is a way of a cross and the cross is not a path of ease and blessing. And so what he's saying is that if you're gonna follow me, that means that you follow me on my path, and that means at times death to yourself. That means self-denial. There are things that will look and feel like death. Now, I will tell you, again, when we find, when we find ourselves in Christ, we find ourselves. When we lose our lives for his sake, we find it. So this is ultimately a blessing. Are there blessings in Christ? Yes, there are incredible blessings in a relationship with Christ. But there will be times that faithfully following after him will feel like death. It will mean that I feel like going one way and God's calling me to go another way. And at the end of the day, to say, God, if I believe you, then I'm going to go the way that you tell me. He's gonna at times call you to make a financial sacrifice that's gonna hurt and that's gonna be painful. He's gonna call you to not, not live together and save sexual intimacy for marriage, even though it's inconvenient. Or even though you're living together and we say, well, we're saving money and this is financially ad ad advantageous. Well, no, he's going to call you to be faithful. He's going to call you to forgive someone that you don't want to forgive. Man, that's hard to do. He's going to call you to take a stand on something that you know might be easier to stay silent on. He's going to call you to deny yourself and your desires and to submit to his vision of sexuality in his life. He's going to call you to do a lot of things that are difficult. And at some point when you struggle with that, the question you've got to ask is, why are you following Jesus? You see, for some people, it's, because they are coming to him as a consumer. And what is a consumer? I have this relationship so I can get. You know, God, you're a means to the end. And so that I, I'm, I'm pursuing you because I want something more than you. 
And if I'm pursuing you, then, then you know, don't call me to give up too much and I expect the reward. Are we a consumer or are we a follower? Because if we're a follower, that means that I'm coming and I'm saying, God, what I want more than anything else is you. And you're calling me to a path that's sometimes difficult and I don't know what to do and I'm struggling to do it, but, but I'm gonna put you first because what I need is you. Lastly, what have you not surrender to the waters of baptism. In the very beginning, we celebrated baptism and we talked about how baptism is the symbol of, of us dying to our old self and being buried in Christ and being raised anew. And that's a symbol of it's something that happens at one time, but it's this lifelong process. And so now Jesus speaks to this idea and saying, okay, now what have you, are you willing to bring everything to me? Surrender who you are. Are you willing to, in a sense, let everything be put under my authority, surrender everything under the waters of baptism so there's nothing that you hold out? In the Middle Ages, there was a real group called the Knights Templar. And most of us might hear that. You don't know much about them from ancient history. Some might recognize them from fictional movies and books. And so, for example, if you like the movie National Treasure, well, they were the group that supposedly gathered the treasure uh, that Nicolas Cage was looking at. Or, or I think of the in, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, they were the group that was supposed to be judging or, or um, uh, keepers of the Holy Grail. Now that's fiction, all right? They were a real group though. They were a military order of the Catholic Church founded in the time of the Crusade, at a, just over 1000 BC. Um, they were originally founded as a military order for the purpose of protecting Christians who were making a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And initially, this was a very real need. You would have Christians that would want to go to the Holy Land, and you would have thousands that would be killed every year because it was a very dangerous journey. And so they were established for that purpose. But then over time, they became a very powerful military order and a very powerful financial power. And they used their military power to gain financial gain. Now, according to legend, any time that someone would join the Knights Templar, before he would go on a crusade or he would go to the Holy Land, he would come to be baptized. And these knights would be baptized in their full military armor, their full knight of armor of a knight. But as they would be baptized, at the moment of baptism, they would be going down and they would hold up their hand and they would hold their sword above the water so that it would not go under. And, and in what they're saying, in a sense, saying, okay, God, I'm surrendering everything but the sword, meaning I understand that I might do some things with my sword that you don't please off. They're in a sense saying, God, you can have all of me but this, not this part, not my sword, you know, not my violence, not my worldly accomplishments through the sword. No, you can have everything but that. Now, when you hear a story like that, if we could envision that kind of baptism, you kind of nod your head and you're like, man, that's kind of silly, that's kind of funny, what were they thinking? And, but before we criticize them too much, let me ask, can we be guilty of the same thing? I don't know what it is that you might hold up over the batter, waters of baptism. Probably not a sword. If you got a sword that you're not willing to surrender, uh, we might have some other issues with you. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know. But we look at it, what is it? it? Might be for some, it's you know, it's my wallet, my money. For some, it's a relationship. You know, for some, it's my sexuality. It's, it's my identity. It's, it's, it's my career advancement, my pursuit of popularity. I don't know what it is. It could be a host of many things. But as you only look in your own heart, is there something that you said, God, I've surrendered everything, but you can't have this. But you can't tell me what to do with this. See, when we look at what Jesus calls us to, he calls us to surrender everything. 
And if we're doing this and this and this, we're agreeing with God. We're doing, yeah, here's where I agree. But where I disagree, well, no, that's the part that I'm going to hold out. That's the part that I need. That's the part of me that is the real self that you can't change. My friends, I want you to see Jesus' call here. If you will follow me, then deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Because the one who tries to save himself that holds something up and says, this is what I need, you're going to lose yourself. You're going to try to find identity and purpose and significance there and it's going to let you down and, it's going to, it's going to, it, and you're going to lose yourself. But the one who loses himself for my sake, he will find his life. What do we gain the whole world if we, what do we gain if we have the whole world, if we have all the success, but, but then we lose our soul, we lose our true self. Friends, God invites us to this call. It's a hard call but it's understanding the nature of the, of, of, of the Messiah of the cross, that he died for us. And then he says, I want to give you true life. And true life is not one of prosperity. It's not one of the lies of just God's here to serve you, give you what you want. It's not that Jesus died so you wouldn't have to suffer. But it's no, my path is one of sacrifice of the cross. And if you follow me down that path, that's where you'll find the life that you were created for. There might be some here today where it just starts with saying, if you ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it might be, God, I need to start there. I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I agree that I can't fix myself. It's not about trying to be good. It's not about performing. It's about admitting my need and asking you to forgive me, to, to do spiritually what baptism symbolizes. God, I ask you to, in a tie to my old self, I ask you to forgive me, to wash me clean, and to raise me new as a follower of you. Help me understand what that means. But there may be many others of here. We've done that. We've accepted Christ in the past. But if you know the depth of your soul, you know, there's, there's something that you're still holding up. There's part of you that's coming to God and saying, God, I don't want to follow. I want to consume. I, I'm expecting this. And today may be a day that God is calling you and saying, if you follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself. Yes, it's hard. But it means that you have more faith in Jesus and his call and his blessing to you than you have in yourself. And you might say, but I need this. You're trying to save yourself. And Jesus is saying, no, if you surrender what I say is wrong, you don't need it. And as long as you're holding on to that, you're going to miss what you really need. And that's a deep and intimate relationship with me. God's speaking to you today. I hope that you don't run away from this. Hear his call of grace. Surrender. Let down that arm and bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.